the Lord's grace to Paul. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Let's pray for Judy and for ourselves. Father God, thank you for Judy. Thank you for the time she's spent looking at your word and listening to what you want to say to us this morning. We pray that you'd help her to convey what you have to say. And we pray for us that you would help us to hear, help us to not be distracted uh, and block our ears, wipe away uh, the things that blur our vision and help us to hear from you and to see you this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I thought it would be good to uh, start with a little confession this morning, if you're up for that. It's from me, not anyone else, in case you're worried. We're not going to have the fuller spot coming round. Um, but uh, last night, uh, quite a few of us got together to go out, and uh, we had planned a picnic uh, in the idyllic sunshine of the, the British summer, uh, but it was not quite as planned when the rain came down. It started to look a bit... Uh, Driech, as we'd say in Scotland. And so um, we had another plan that we would uh, go to one of the places outside the Mac that has just a a really big table, uh, quite distant from the uh, Mac itself, the furthest we could get. And on that table it said, you are not to consume anything brought in terms of food or drink that is not sold on the premises. And we had bought our picnic. Um, And uh, so we covered it up with a cloth because obviously what the eye doesn't see, the heart doesn't grieve over. So we covered it up so that actually we acted in ignorance, didn't we? Because it was covered, so we didn't read it. And we're having a lovely time celebrating, having our cake and whatever. And then I spotted out of the corner of my eye an official coming through from the Mac uh, straight towards us. And it was very clear his intent was to come to us and no one else. And um, I thought, oh no, this is terrible. We can only plead ignorance. But he came towards us just with a whole load of plastic cups to say that actually he could see what we were doing but if we were going to come in uh, we would need those plastic beakers to come into the Mac. He saw that it was our own food, I even said oh I'm really sorry this is ours and he just gave us them and walked away. And I was just thinking this morning that's just a tiny window into my rebellion and uh, confess it to you. Um, But also, it's actually a tiny window into the little graces that walk through life with me, certainly. And uh, even this last week, I've just seen grace towards me. That's uh, a smaller one, but actually grace uh, directed towards me. Uh, We're looking at Mythbusters. I think it's been a great series. I've certainly enjoyed uh, the other speakers on this. And we're looking this morning at the myth, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. 
This is not about uh, security or inferiority or anything like this. It's about our goodness. All right? It's about the fact that we come to God and we have this myth that says, I'm not good enough to become a Christian. I'm not good enough to mix with the likes of the holy huddle that are here at Riverside. That might be how we feel sometimes. We might come to our life group and feel, I'm not good enough for this. Everyone else seems more spiritual than me. And so it's a myth that actually can get wired into us, even though most of us, if we're practicing Christians today, know the truth of it, that actually by grace we are good enough in God's eyes uh, when we're repentant, but still we wrestle with it, still we wrestle with it. And I can almost guarantee that if we went round and thought-tracked every person here, there would be times maybe even in the last few days where we felt, I don't match up. Now, one of these, this myth is an interesting one because when I was thinking about it and I first was given it, I thought, well, that's true, isn't it? (laughs) You know, I thought, that's not a myth, it's true. We aren't good enough. That's why Paul writes this brilliant start to the letter to Timothy. He says, I was the worst of the lot. Exhibit A, if you like. He says, if you think that you don't deserve this grace, how about me? What about me? He says he was once a blasphemer. So he bought the name of Jesus Christ in vain, time and time again. But not only did he do that, we know that he was a persecutor, that he was violent. He was the equivalent of some of the people in our news today that we just think, how can we love them? How can we even forgive them? And yet God says, if they repent, they will be forgiven. So actually, he's writing to Timothy saying, if any of you doubt that you can have this unfathomable grace directed at you, if any of you doubt, look at my life. And he deliberately says he was the worst of sinners. Now, we've heard that, and maybe we've even said it at times, so we perhaps know the vernacular. But in his day, this was radical. In the Hebrew culture, to say that you were a sinner and now are saved was nonsense. It was nonsense. The culture was conditional love. It was all about conditional love. And suddenly he says, I've had this amazing encounter on the Damascus Road with the living Jesus. And I was once a blasphemer. I was once a violent man, a persecutor. And now I'm entrusted with telling you the gospel. One of the key writers who's responsible for so much of our New Testament. And yet really a murderer, a terrorist, if you like, in his day. Somebody who absolutely stood against everything that he then went on to believe. Hard to imagine that God would forgive that. And hard for all of us to get our heads around it. I was uh, up um, working in uh, just above Newcastle a couple of weeks ago. And we were at a conference where people were sharing about their wrestles with forgiveness. There was a lovely lady next to me, was very nervous, shaking, didn't know whether she could get the courage to say what she'd had to forgive. And uh, just really in the, in the time, the moment, in the grace of the presence of God, she said, I want to say something here. And she said, I just want you to know that I was married to a guy who turned out to be a paedophile. He turned out to have been looking at images online. He turned out to have actually abused both our children. And he said, and she said, and actually he took his own life in prison. 
And she went on to just say, I didn't know whether I could forgive him for taking his life, for what he'd done, for all of that. But actually, she said, when she finally knew that she had forgiven him, she said, I was free. And she said, I've stopped telling the story. She said, in fact, this is the first time I've spoken about it in such a long time, because she said, I haven't needed to anymore. And I thought, how incredible. And I was deeply moved. I was sort of holding on to her because she was really moved. She said, I didn't know her, but she's sitting with me. And then a woman says, well, I'd like to share about our fate. She said, something terrible happened to me. I had a lovely table all ready for the children's toys and bric-a-brac when somebody came along and took my table. That, was, that literally was her thing that she couldn't forgive. And she was properly angry, she was ranting about it, and the guy chairing the meeting said, but, but have you now been able... No! She said, because I don't think she deserves it. I think it was totally wrong. And I was just sitting, I didn't know whether to laugh, I thought, I'm glad I'm not chairing this. But um, I just thought, how extraordinary. And I was sitting there thinking, what part of her thought that was okay to share in my lovely, gracious spirit? Um, <laughs> thinking that that was just random. Why would you do that? And it was only afterwards, as God often does, where he exposes uh, some of my uh, um, confusion, maybe, in saying, but that, that's how I feel. You know, our sin is all equal. And we can say, oh, you know, I mean, that she had a big lot to forgive over there. But this lady, but all sin is sin. And in a way, that's what Paul's doing here. It's a kind of double whammy, and he's saying, I'm the worst of sinners, but he knows in the spirit that actually all of us are, because all of us fall short. Every one of us here is not good enough in one sense. I remember, uh, as many of you know, struggling really all my years going to church as a young girl, just knowing I wasn't good enough, knowing I didn't measure up, And actually, it was when I first heard at the age of 19, are you bad enough for me, that I got it. Are you bad enough? Are you needy enough? Are you sinful enough? Are you proud enough? Are you selfish enough to need this grace? And I thought, yes, I do. And the same from Saul to Paul. What an extraordinary testimony. Uh, There's a phrase that you may have heard, which is precious to me, which is, try softer. And it was uh, one coined by John Ortberg. Uh, You'll know I'm a big fan of his. Um, But he says that actually we have many drivers in our lives growing up. You'll have drivers in the household where you grew up. And some of them will be try harder. That was definitely true of my household. Some of them will be strong. It means you never cry. You just soldier on. Some of them will be, be perfect. And you'll have been living in the shadow of that for many years unless God has really freed you from that. But actually, one of these is try harder. That actually gets into our faith culture, doesn't it? Must do better, try harder, stuffed up, not good enough Christian. And we have that rhetoric in us. And hopefully we can come to a safe place like this or to our life group or our community group and just say, I'm not good enough, but I have got a God who is. A God who who stepped in in our place for us that actually that is the vernacular. And he says he started off by hearing these amazing people, and I think John Ortberg's pretty amazing, but he he heard these amazing stories of people who prayed for three hours at the beginning of their day of ministry. And he started to think, well, I can't be a church leader because I can't do that. And then he said he just felt try softer. 
But what can I do that actually fits my personality? What can I do that fits my lifestyle, my nature? And he started these small graces, as he called them, through the day. He started walking around with a, I think it was a $20 bill in his pocket each day to see who he could bless with it. He had a thing that went off on his phone that just made him pause and say thank you for whoever he was with or whatever he was doing. He did things, in other words, to really rein in some of his discipline issues, but also to help him flourish in who God had made him to be. And I found that really, really helpful for me really helpful to look at the rhythms of my day, the rhythms of my week, the rhythms of my life and build patterns in. Some of you will know I begin Saturday morning with a feast time with God, which is so key for me for the rest of my week. Uh, I have my coffee, I make a cafetiere and that's me and God. Now that's not that I'm not with God all through the week, that's not that I'm not praying and speaking to him, but actually that's my time that builds in my rhythm, my grace time if you like, to start the week and we we will all need those, that's for sure, as we go through. So try softer. What does that mean for you? How can you, in the context you're in, in the season you're in in life, try softer? Just look at it a different way. Start from the fact that you're loved whatever. Don't start from trying to attain goodness or love. It's already yours. It's already yours. His approval is there. But actually, what does that approval do? It makes us want to please him in ways that we can try softer. There's a lovely quote from Richard Rohr, the Franciscan, um, France, Franciscan, that's right, isn't it? Franciscan priest, says, faith does not need to push the river because faith is able to trust that there is a river. The river is flowing and we are in it. Isn't that beautiful? And that's the river of grace. The fruits of the Spirit are ours. I was hearing uh, last week Andy King shared that the guys at Soul Survivor heard about the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's a bit of a hero of mine, Justin Welby. I really like him as an Archbishop. I know we're not, you know, parishioners of his, but we kind of are in the wider church. And he's just an amazing guy. And I just, whenever he speaks, there seems to be wisdom, don't you think? You know, he just if he's quoted, he speaks wisely and well. And he's, he's lived for the poor in incredible areas of our world. And he starts every day praying in tongues for 15 minutes. And I thought, well, it shows. <laughs> but you see, my next response to that is, oh, no, that's what I should be doing. That is what I should be doing. Ah, you see, and I get distracted. You see, I don't think I could do 15. Do you see what I mean? So suddenly, the rhetoric of I'm not good enough comes in. But it's a challenge to me, and it's one that I'm taking up, because I think, how brilliant is that? Because I see the fruits in his life and ministry, and I'm hungry for it. I'm hungry for that. So there'll be things that you and I read that just resonates with us and says, for us, that's the river. Let's be in it. Let's be in it. Paul Miller, in his book on prayer, says, we don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. How true that is. I think that's brilliant. Poverty of spirit makes room for his spirit. Poverty of spirit makes room for his spirit. In Luke, Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? Where he talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector and he basically comes to it from an angle where he says there's a public and a private response in prayer. 
And if you look at it, if you've got your Bible there, it's uh, Luke 19, uh, 18, sorry, 9 to 14. And in that passage, we hear this, the tax collector stood at a distance in prayer. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the Pharisee's prayer was public, was ostentatious, was comparative. He looked at this sinner, this tax collector, and he said, thank God I'm not like that. All right, something that we can all do. We can read Paul's testimony here in 1 Timothy and think, oh, thank goodness I'm not a blasphemer or a persecutor or a murderer or a violent man. But actually, we are the worst of sinners. And so there are two responses. There's a guy that looks over there and says, well, thank goodness I'm not like that. And there's this guy, the tax collector in verse 13, who just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. I was thinking if there's one prayer that we should always be praying, it's that. That when we come into his presence, we know that we're reliant every single day on his mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And there is a difference, and I may have said this before, but I really would say it again. There is a difference that I learned the hard way between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnatory spirit of the enemy. Conviction, and I know this, when the Holy Spirit touches my heart, makes me want to change for him. It just does. Conviction. So when I hear about the Archbishop of Canterbury doing that, I'm convicted that I just think it works. It's beautiful. And there's something in my spirit that says, Lord, that's how I want to start my day. But then what can happen is it can move through to thoughts of condemnation if I'm not careful. I'm not going to get there. I won't be able to. I won't be good enough. I won't have the focus to. I'll do it for two days and then I'll forget. Do you see? And those words, those thoughts are the ones that we need to keep on surrendering because they're condemnation. Remember when I was a new Christian, I was sharing a a room at the time with a Christian girl who was way further down the line than me in in her maturity. And I said, oh, uh, Karen, um, Lord's been keeping me up all night just telling me all the things that he doesn't like about me. And he's been telling me he doesn't like the way I treated this guy. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like this. And she said, that doesn't sound like conviction to me at all, Judy. And it wasn't, it was condemnation. It was me telling God all the reasons why he shouldn't love me. That is not the prayer of confession. That is actually a twist, if you like, that says this this myth that says, I'm not good enough because. So Paul is very clear that he is convicted by what? He talks about this unfathomable grace. The word he uses in the original is hyper hyper grace the maximum grace that there could have been is directed at this blasphemer this murderer this persecutor maximum grace is what convicted him and he is not condemned because he stands repentant before god jesus says i tell you this man rather than the other went home justified before god The man who just said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's you and I. That's when we come to communion together. That's when we come in prayer to one another, when we come to God. And uh, a while ago, we, we challenged you in life groups to have more times of confession, to keep it real. There's no point us all meeting with our Sunday face on, is there? 
that actually when we confess, we spur each other on. We spur each other on because we're all reliant on the same mercy. We're all sinners. Philip Yancey, who wrote a brilliant book, What's So Amazing About Grace? If you only read one book this year apart from the Bible, um, I would say read this one. He says, women like prostitutes fled towards Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? That was a bit that hit me at the end. Have we lost that? Are people compelled towards us because of this grace that they see in us? Do they see this love in us, extended in us? This grace that we have received actually turn towards one another. This made me laugh this week. It's from the picture of Dorian Gray. I can't help detesting my relations. I suppose it comes from the fact that none of us can stand other people having the same faults as us. <laughs> How true that is sometimes, isn't it? The things that really wind us up about people. I've found this and I come home and I think, that really annoys me about that person. And I think, well, oh, I think it annoys me so much because I know that I'm actually really like that as well. And actually sometimes we hold a mirror up and we know that actually some of our judgment, some of our judgment, like the Pharisees standing there judging this guy, is something that actually offends God and we need to take account of. We are going to close in a moment with a song. Um, I'm not going to sing it, you'll be relieved to hear. It's going to come up and someone else, casting uh, crowns, are going to sing it for us. Uh, they're not live, I'm afraid, but uh, on, a, on a video. Um, and I heard this a couple of weeks ago and it moved me to tears in the car. Um, because actually in the Psalms, we hear that as far as the East is from the West, our sins are not only forgiven, but forgotten by God. He chooses not scatty, he just chooses not to remember them against us. Isn't that amazing? That he chooses it, whether with a woman complaining about the bric-a-brac table or whether the woman confessing that she's managed to move on from all of that. To God, he loves us the same, he forgives us the same, his grace is the same. It's outrageous and it's annoying sometimes because we almost think, well, that person deserves this. But we know if we were treated as our sins deserve, where would we be? but we're not because of Jesus. Show me just how far is it from the east to the west. Have you ever thought you've blown in? I know I have as a Christian. I mean, a couple of times when I thought, I've, I've blown this. And actually, how far is the east from the west, he says. And he, the answer is one scarred hand to the other. Let's just look at our own lives, our own hearts, our own complexity around this, that we know that we don't have to be good enough anymore, but we do have to be bad enough for God's grace, hungry enough, like that tax collector, stoop down, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner, and actually to know the conviction of his grace that Paul says is hyper-grace, outstanding, outrageous grace. And how will we as church live that grace out so that this place is full so that actually people gravitate not away from us in fear of judgment, but towards us as a refuge, as a place to change through this amazing love. Jesus, thank you that we know that as far as the east is from the west, our sins are not only forgiven, but forgotten by God the Father because of you. 
Jesus, our words run out when we thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. That when we say I'm not good enough, you said I am, I'm perfect, and I see you as worth dying for, worth conquering death for. Lord, I speak over every life here, whether they know you or not, that your love is available, that you see them as beautiful children made in your likeness, that you have plans and dreams for every one of us to keep on changing us by this outstanding grace, not because we're trying harder, but because we surrender every day to your mercy, your grace, the fruits of your spirit changing us. In the flow of your river, Lord, we live. Thank you that you wash us clean, whiter than snow. We thank you again that your grace found us, just as it found the Apostle Paul, that your grace has found us. And we bow the knee even today. We bow the knee to you and we say thank you that your grace has found us. Thank you that in you we are good enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Sue's going to just come up um, and just share a word that uh, she's uh, had on her heart uh, that, that goes alongside this. I'm, I'm not very good at singing in tune. And um, uh, when we were worshipping earlier, um, there was a harmony that I have remembered for a long, long time, and I started to sing it. And I started to think about um, just the the contribution that all our voices make as we sing in harmony. And um, the other image that I've got is of a tapestry and the different threads that make up the, you know, the, the picture, the final picture that is a tapestry. And I, I was just had this sort of sense that actually everybody brings something to, to worship. What you know, small part of it um, that, that we all bring. And I, I felt that just as I um, sometimes think, I can't do this, I can't, um, I can't sing properly, I can't keep a good tune, um, and I can't harmonize. And, you know, when I was a, a, a girl in the school choir, I remember struggling sometimes to, uh, um, you know, to perform. And, and those things stay with us right the way through our lives, don't they? And I, I felt, um, even before Judy spoke, that actually I had something to share that was about don't hold back. Don't hold back from bringing what you've got to contribute to this community because we need every, everybody's contribution. And, um, and then when Judy started to speak, I thought, yeah, absolutely, this is a message for all of us. And I believe that there are some of you holding back for the very same reason than me, that we just don't think that we're good enough to give our contribution.